Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. Um, prophetic strategies, but there is a principle of firsts, okay? And the Jewish people are God's first, first people, okay? The Israelites are God's first, first people, and we are honored and privileged to have in our midst a brother in Christ who is a believer. He's um, basically a believing uh, Jew, but both his mother and his father were Jewish, so he's full Hebrew blood, DNA, all the way back. And I um, was preparing earlier this week, and Holy Spirit just kept laying him on my heart and said, I want you to ask him to give us some history and to give us some context for Hanukkah. And I'm very, very excited to introduce to you for the first portion of our teaching today, um, Brother Alan Sellis. Can we just give him a warm welcome and invite him up here? He is going to introduce us to the holiday of Hanukkah, the history of Hanukkah, and tell us a little bit about God's heart for Hanukkah, okay? And then I'm going to come up later um, when he's done with his portion, and I'm going to tie in some prophetic parallels for this hour and this day. Come right up here, Alan. I'm going to hand you this mic, darling. And um, then he, we're going to be privileged to walk through the lighting of the menorah with Alan. And he's going to pray the Hebrew prayers for us and then release us with a Hebrew blessing. Won't that be special today? Can we thank God for him one more time? Yeah? Okay. I will. Hi. <laughs> anyway, um, I think I'm yeah, I'm not very polished. Tell you that this is the kind of message that has been resonating within me for decades. Um, and I'm. I just um. Okay, so Hanukkah, Hanukkah is a holiday that celebrates the, um, a victory in a great war, a horrible war that was waged against the Jewish people between 167 BC and 160 BC. And um, that other picture, okay, so, you can see that there's nine candles, and one of them is the tallest one right in the middle, and then there's eight. I mean, and that was um, adapted from the Jewish menorah, you know, David's menorah that had one in the middle, and then there were three on each side because there's eight days of Hanukkah. And, okay, so let me, <laughs> let me, um, so this holiday is always in December, but if you look on the calendar, it moves in December. It goes down, 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 like, and then it pops up, and, it, and that's because we use a solar calendar, and the Jews use a lunar calendar, and in their calendar, at the end of four years, is a leap month instead of a leap day. So... 
So it's always going to be getting a week earlier, earlier, earlier until that leap month, and it brings it back to the top of the month. And that's different, I want to tell you, than the Arab calendar. In the Arab calendar, they don't have a leap month or a leap day or anything like that. And so, like, holidays, like Ramadan, you know, it's, um, you know, it can be in any season of the year. And, and, um, and a month which is in the middle of winter eventually will be in the middle of summer. And so, so I want to tell you about Hanukkah. Um, there's, in Leviticus chapter 23, God defines the Sabbath and he defines the seven holidays of God. You know, and those holidays are, I may get one wrong or something, but, but it's like um, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the First Fruits, and then there's Shavuot, um, and then there's uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. This holiday does not fall within that grouping because Moses never knew about it. You know, this, this holiday was 13 years after, 1300 years after Moses. Um, and as uh, Stephanie says, when, the, when, the, uh, when Israel was taken over for 400 years by this uh, Seleucid Empire, um, then this whole thing took place, you know, around 167, and it was seven years. I want to tell you that um, even though Israel, I mean, even though this holiday is not uh, part of Le Leviticus 23, that it is prophesied in Daniel 8. And then in the New Testament, in chapter 10, Jesus is attending the Feast of Dedication, which is a Hanukkah. Hanukkah is told in First and Second Maccabees, and that's part of the Apocrypha. But the Apocrypha is not considered sacred text because it's never quoted in the New Testament. In fact, none of the Apocryphal books are ever, are ever quoted in the New Testament. So, um, but I want to tell you that there's great wealth in those books. And just a short thing, I mean, as I sometimes, you know, talk, say, um, when you read this this horrible time, this time of great oppression and terror in the books of the Maccabees, then you see many times, and they made a holocaust, and they made a holocaust, and they made a holocaust, because the Jewish people would, had two kinds of offerings. One was a sin offering, and one was a burnt offering. And the sin offering was to atone for their sins, but the burnt offering was to create a pleasing aroma unto God. This is in the Law of Moses, and, and it was done all the way through, you know, history. When the Jewish people were, um, were, they tried to exterminate as many as they could, six million out of 18 million worldwide, they didn't want to say, well, evil had its way, wickedness had its way, they, they almost got us, you know, all this kind of stuff. They chose that word Holocaust very carefully. Because, because the Jewish people, I mean, they embraced their faith even to the point of death. And it was a burnt offering. They were a burnt offering, a fragrant aroma unto God. 
Um, as as First and Second Maccabees tells the story, there was um, okay. Well, let me um, let me let me go to Daniel eight, and we're going to read most of the chapter. So. So if anybody wants to go there, that would be good. Because this is astounding. This chapter is astounding. You know, we think that we can't understand prophecy because uh, there's so much symbolism and, and uh, you know, we shy away from it. But I'm going to start to read to you Daniel chapter 8. It says, In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, the king, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, subsequent to the one which appeared to me previously, and I was looked, okay, I looked into the vision which I was looking as I was in the tri or citadel of Susa, which is in the province of Elam, and I looked in the vision, and I myself was beside the Ulai Canal. Of course, Daniel was taken to Babylon, you know, and he served several kings, it says, then I lifted up my eyes and I looked and behold a ram which had two horns was standing in front of the canal. Now the two horns were long, but one was longer than the other with the longer coming up last. And that's, that's very important because as you remember, I mean, first David, I mean, Daniel served uh, Nebuchadnezzar and then he served the son but then the son had this party and he brought out the articles of God and he started drinking from those articles. And then there was a writing on the wall that said something like many, many taku something. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so, so, so he said that. So what happened? That very night, the kingdom was wrenched out of his hand. Now, there was the kingdom that emerged, Medes, Persia. Med the Medes were the uh, first ones, but then came the Persians, and then the Persians came to dominate. And that's what it means when it said, the ram had two horns standing in front. They were long, but one was longer than the, than the other, with the longer one coming up last. And then it says, I saw the ram. He was budding westward, northward, southward, and no other beast could stand before him, nor was there anyone to rescue from his power. He did as he pleased, and he magnified himself. You know, we're not made to magnify ourselves. We're made to give glory to God, because God is our creator. It says... While I was observing, behold, a male goat was coming from the west over the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. When you don't touch the ground and you're running from the west, it means that you're going very quickly. The goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes and he came up to the ram. Do you know who the goat was? Anybody? It was Alexander the Great. 
Alexander the Great came from Macedonia. You know, I thought, wow, it must be great to be great. I thought, it would be cool to be Alexander the Great until I learned that Alexander became king by murdering his father. And then Alexander came to Phoenicia to, you know, where Lebanon is, and that's where he learned to crucify. He would crucify people as part of this campaign. Well, he came, anyway, let me, let's go on here. It says, he came up to the ram that had the two horns that had been standing in front of the canal. He rushed at him in his mighty wrath. And the reason, by the way, that he had this mighty wrath is that there had been previous wars between, you know, the Greeks and the Persians. And so he hated the Persians. And he came with a mighty wrath. And he saw him beside the ram, and he was enraged at him. And he struck the ram, and he shattered the two horns, and the ram had no strength to withstand him. And so he hurled him to the ground, he trampled on him, and there was none to rescue the ram from his power. Alexander the Great went all the way, conquering lands, all the way into India and Afghanistan. A huge amount of territory. So we hurled him to the ground. He trampled them. There was none to rescue. Then the male goat magnified himself exceedingly. Magnified himself. But as soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken and in its place came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. So what caused this large horn to be broken? I can tell you, Alexander the Great died at the age of 29. He died, I believe, in battle, but he died at the age of 29. And when he died, then they divided that enormous kingdom that went all the way into India and Afghanistan. You know, all, you know, covered Iran, Iran, I mean, Iraq, and all those lands, including the beautiful land. And they divided it between four generals. And one general was called Seleucius. And, this, and General Seleucius created this kingdom, this tiny little kingdom. It says, out of one of them came forth a relatively small kingdom which grew exceedingly great toward the south and the east and toward the beautiful land. Well, the beautiful land, as I'm sure you know, is Israel. It's always called the beautiful land. You know, certain lands, I mean, it doesn't have the greenery of Michigan but there's different kinds of beauty, you know, including beauty that comes from the heart and the beauty of the spirit that flows through that land. It says, it says, this, this little horn, which is the, the Seleucid Empire, grew up to the host of heaven, and it caused some of the host and some of the stars to fall to the earth and it trampled them. 
does this, I don't know if anyone thinks about this imagery about causing stars to come to earth, but in the book of Revelation, Satan, Lucifer, who's called the dragon, moves his tail and knocks a third of the stars out of the sky, and it's, this is the same kind of thing. It magnified itself to be equal to the commander of hosts. Now, other translations would be the Lord of hosts. We know that Jesus is the Lord of hosts. We know Antiochus Epiphanes magnified himself to be as good or, or a replacement for the Lord of hosts. And what is replacing the Lord of hosts? It means that he was the antichrist of his day. It says, he removed the regular sacrifice from him. That sacrifice was the temple sacrifice. He discontinued the sacrifice in the temple. And it says, on account of transgression, the host will be given over to the horn along with the regular sacrifice and, and will fling truth to the ground. It will fling truth to the ground and prosper its, its will and, and perform its will and prosper. Then I heard the Holy One speaking. Another Holy One said to that Holy One that was speaking, how long will the vision of the regular sacrifices apply while the transgression causes horror? so as to allow both the holy place and the host to be trampled. And then it says, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, and then the holy place will be properly restored. Now this 2,300 evenings, I don't understand it um, mathematically, but I'm sure that it refers to the same seven years, you know, that's, um, ouch, <laughs> sorry. Um, the same seven years, you know, that, that I think maybe in chapter nine, you know, and so anyway, um, you know what, it's not men who could restore this, but it's God working through men. I mean, I'm not saying just men, I'm saying people. <laughs> okay. So. And then, and then we're told a couple verses later that, um, that Gabriel was the one who came and met with him. Okay, so I want to tell you shortly the, the story of Hanukkah. You know, I don't know everything. You know, those facts are, are in First and Second Maccabees. But, but, um, but the, the goal of Antiochus Epiphanes was to replace the, the Jewish faith with the Greek faith, you know, so that he could more easily rule his kingdom. But there was a priest who was supposed to serve called Mattathias, and um, he would not, you know, he would not cheapen what he was given to do because he was a man of God. And so... There were certain Jews who were willing to be bought off and they were willing to do whatever the king wanted them to do. And anyway, um, 
So Mattathias was angry. And he took that he took that false priest and he took his sword and he made short work of that false priest. And then he fled to the hills. And he had five sons. And they said, we're not going to take this. You know, the people who cared about God said, we're not going to take this. And so they start waging a guerrilla war against the Seleucids. And these, um, these, it was a mighty army, you know, chariots and horses and everything else. But he decided to do that. Eventually, because of the help of God, that's the great miracle of Hanukkah, they were able to defeat the Seleucids. They were able to push them back. And then they were able to rededicate the temple. And Hanukkah means dedication. And they were able to take the oil that was, um, that only, there was only a one-day supply, and God multiplied just the way he did the, with the bread and the fishes. God is in the multiplication business. So, so they won the battle and they appointed a king. And the king was named Jonathan. And Jonathan was the first, was one of the sons of Mattathias, you know, brother of Judah Maccabee. And this king had another king. I mean, his son became king after him. And then there was another generation, another king. And then there was a fourth king. This fourth king, his name was King Herod, the same king who sought to uh, destroy all the babies, you know, in Bethlehem. So it was the fourth king of, of the Hasmonean dynasty. So I, I want to tell you some, some more interesting information. One is that when, when Alexander the Great was flying, you know, I mean, east and conquering all these lands, he came to Israel. And he thought about destroying Israel. I mean, here they are. They're in the way. But they showed him, Daniel chapter 8, they showed Alexander himself in the Bible. And he said, oh, my gosh, he was floored. And he said, well, because of that, I won't destroy you. I also want to tell you that Alexander the Great, because they created all this territory for the Greeks over the over the course of centuries, Greek became the first world language, really. And, uh, and then when the, the gospel started going out, the gospel and the epistles, um, they could communicate. They could communicate with, with all these people, and, uh, and it got a running start. I want to tell you about persecution. And start with this, because... The Jews were being persecuted, of course. I mean, that's the whole thing. I want to read this one scripture to you. It's John 15, 20. It says, remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Well, first of all, I want to say the word that we speak to the world we want that to be the word of God because only God can solve the problems of the world. When it says, when it talks about if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. 
I want to tell you that Jesus was persecuted. In, um, in Matthew 12, finally, for the first time, the, fa- the Pharisees were saying, we're going to kill you. And, and then Jesus had to start hiding because his time had not yet come. And he started telling his, these, these parables that they could not understand. And then the disciples started asking him in private, what does this mean? So he was, um, and I, w- I want to tell you that, that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the, from the dead, that it was told to the Pharisees, and many were believing on him because of Lazarus. And so what did the Pharisees want to do? They wanted to kill both Jesus and Lazarus in order to destroy that testimony. Jesus was so persecuted that when he came to Jerusalem, you know, they both whipped him and they, um, and they crucified him. Well, that was never done. You know, it was, it was only one or the other. And Jesus, when he was crucified, not only was he whipped, you know, which was horrendous pain, but he was made poor. I mean, they took away everything he had. He was crucified naked. The clothes were separated. They were given. He had no physical possession. And he was, and they were hurling insults at him. And he had, um, you know, he was rejected by men, and he was rejected by God, and he became sin, and he became sickness. Body, soul, and spirit. The body was the physical torture. The soul was the rejection by God and man. And this the spiritual destruction was becoming sin and sickness. You know, I used to wonder in in, um, Isaiah 52 why it said that he was marred beyond any man. You know, I thought, well, there's 8 billion people, and many have been killed in horrendous ways, you know, but none, not one man on the face of the earth was ever killed, spirit, soul, and body, completely destroyed in every realm. I want to tell you about the persecution of of the Jewish people in Israel. You know, they wouldn't have been so persecuted if they were not the people of God. I mean, there was a covenant made. In Egypt, the Pharaoh looked at their numbers and he decided to enslave them and then he decided to kill every male child. You know, and... In the book of Esther, um, there was a man, Haman, and this man, Haman, was an Agagite. Well, what happened was that there was Jacob and there was Esau, and Esau had a grandson named Amalek. Well, the descendants of Esau became the Edomites, and they always hated Israel, and the Amalekites it went through the generations. They opposed the Israelites in the desert when they were, had fled Egypt. And you know how the people got the victory? They couldn't have done it on the, their own. But they lifted the arms of Moses. You know, 
Joshua and her, and when they would lift those arms, then they found the grace of God, and God helped them to overcome the Amalekites. But during the days of Saul, when, when Saul was ordered to kill all the Amalekites, he left only the king, you know, Agag, and then he left those sheep. And Samuel, he was not too happy about that. So he, he killed Saul, and then he said, this day the kingdom is taken out of your hands and given to another. It was given to Daniel, I mean to David. But on the night, on the very night where, they, where Samuel killed Agag, apparently since there were no um, Amal or Amalekites left, you know, except for him, um, he, it's thought that he must have made someone pregnant and that there was a line that continued, the, the Agagite line, which went all the way to Haman. But that was a persecution. There was a persecution in the line of the royalty where Athalia was, you know, tr was going to destroy the, the, um, the royal line that came from David. But Jesus had to be part of that royal line. And so God saved them. God saved the child. You know, and of course he was, you know, the Jews were persecuted by this, you know, in this, you know, by the Seleucids, they were persecuted by the Romans, they were persecuted in many nations, they were persecuted, of course, by the Germans. It's because the people of God are, I mean, what keeps us safe is the Holy Spirit protecting us. He has our back, just like um, Cammie said, he has our back. Christians were persecuted too. I mean, I mean, what happened when uh, Paul started preaching the gospel? You know, um, they were always persecuted. You know, it's the book of Acts. And then the Romans were feeding them to the lions. And they were, they were impaling them. They were burning them up. And, and uh, look, at, look at China today. Look at the persecution of China. Look at the, the Coptic church in uh, Greece, or Egypt, which has managed to survive, even though the Muslims, you know, have, have hated the, uh, the Christians, but still they survive. So I want to tell you that, um, that God helps us, but we will be persecuted. And you know what? If we're never persecuted in any way, it's because we're not being bold, we're not being courageous, we're not doing the work of God on this earth. We have to do the work of God on this earth because this earth will be over quickly enough and we're busy storing our treasures in heaven. God will give us 10 cities if we earn the 10 talents. You know, so we, we can't be afraid. We just can't be afraid. We, um, you know, um, God is faithful. And the only way that we really understand his faithfulness is by putting his promises to the test. You know. Yeah, no, it, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, by, putting, by putting his promises to the test. One, te one uh, two promises that we can easily look back on, I think, are in Matthew 6, because 
He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to put on. And I want to tell you that in all my years, my entire life, all those days, all those meals, I've never lacked something to eat when I wanted to eat. If that's not faithfulness, what is it? You know, I've always had the clothing that I needed. Jesus, what he said, he did. So, I want to tell you, I wanted to, um, just a few more things here. Um, Antiochus Epiphany, his name translated from the Greek is God manifest, the manifestation of God. He was not, he was evil, he was, the Antichrist is going to be worshipped as, or seek to be worshipped as God. Anti and like I said, you know, both the, um, both the war was seven years and the tribulation seven years. Antiochus desecrated the second temple when he brought idols in, when he tore down, you know, things, you know, I'm not sure of all the articles, but he tore them down. He, he took pig's blood, which is an, you know, which is considered an unclean animal. He just smeared it and he desecrated it. The Antichrist doesn't desecrate, desecrate the second temple, he desecrates the third temple. He makes a peace treaty with Israel. Three and a half years are spent building it. And then he steps inside and says, I'm his God. He sits down and he says, I'm God. And then the Jews say, oh my gosh, you know. They know, <laughs> they know then know that he's pure evil. And then they start fleeing. When they flee, like in, in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, where he says, don't go back into your house, flee into the desert, that's what they do. When they flee into the desert, just the same way that they fled, you know, during this time, during the days of Hanukkah, they go, they go east. There's this place called Petra. The thing about Petra is that it's part of um, Moab and Edom. And actually in Daniel, and I don't have it at my fingertip, but these, these two places will never come under the influence of the Antichrist. They flee there, and then the hand of God protects them from you know, from all these weapons. I mean, I mean, the Antichrist, I don't know if he'll control China, but he controls Europe and maybe probably the United States and different places. And yet he cannot destroy them. That's when God appears very big. And when this miracle is greater than any miracle that the Israeli people have ever seen. It says... Um, now, I want to read to you this, this little, these few lines from 2 Maccabees 5, 11 through 14. It says, when these happenings were reported to the king, this is Antiochus Epiphanes, he thought that Judea was in revolt, raging like a wild animal. He set out from Egypt. He took Jerusalem by storm he ordered the soldiers to cut down without mercy those whom they met and to slay those 
who took refuge in their houses. And there was a massacre of young and old, a killing of women and children, a slaughter of virgins and of infants. In the space of three days, 80,000 were lost, 40,000 meeting a violent death, and the same number being sold into slavery. I mean, this is the character of Antiochus, and it's the character of the Antichrist. So, so Antiochus and the Antichrist, I mean, they both have power. I mean, they'll demonstrate great power. But the question is, who gave them that power? Not God. Not God. Satan gave them that power. The role of God. What does he expect from us? Well, he expects us to know him, to have faith, and be bold and courageous. Because we cannot be, we cannot have a faith in God that we don't really know. You know, I think that one of the reasons that we don't have more healing, one of the reasons that we don't see more power and more miracles is because we don't really understand that God loves us. I think that it's evident in scripture, it can be made evident, but I think that we need to have certain glasses when we read scripture. And when we read scripture, we should ask ourselves, can I see the love of God in these, in these verses, in this account, in these words? And I can tell you, if we, we're not looking for God's love, then, then we might miss it. But if we are looking for it, we will see his love and it will change our hearts and we will learn to trust him because God is faithful to his promises and he's faithful to us, the ones that he loves. You know, we're to have faith, we're to be bold, but we can't do it in our own strength. And that's where God comes in because he is the man of war, because he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, because he is, you know, we can do all things through Christ. So what is, what is the tribulation? There's a lot of people who believe it's, you know, they're pre-trib or post-trib or mid-trib or they're pan-trib. So what is pan-trib? How it all pans out, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I'm pre-trib because, um, because Lot didn't have to go through the firestorm. You know, because Noah was not swimming w along with the animals, but they were saved from. And because... Um, because, you know, it, it says that we're saved from the day of tribulation. It says that in 1 Thessalonians 1. You know, the purpose of the, it's been said that the tribulation is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. That the Jewish people, even though it says, you know, that they'll recognize the Lord, you know, even though it says that Israel will be sa saved, all Israel, and even though it, you know, we have Jeremiah 31 and places like that where it talks about, you know, that none will say no to the Lord because they all do. And, but that hasn't happened yet. That happens in the tribulation. When the Antichrist takes over, when it's so horrible, when God places them under the hand, when they see the salvation of their mighty God, 
That's when they repent. Yeah. I want to read three verses, three scripture verses about trusting in God. Second Chronicles 32, verses 7 and 8. You know, the vast Syrian army, so scary, the same Syrian army, a Syrian army rather, that destroyed the northern kingdom with its ten tribes. They were coming against the southern kingdom. And there was King Hezekiah, and he had been a righteous king. And he said, this is what he said to his people to encourage them. He said, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because the king of Assyria, because of the king of Assyria, nor because of all the horde that's with him. For the one who is with us is greater than the one with him. And then he said, with him, the king of Assyria, with him is only an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. When it says to help us, it means that we have a role to play, which is faith and courage. But God, but this arm of flesh is, it cannot compare with, with the Lord our God. And then in Psalm 20, verse 7, it says, Some boast in chariots, some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. I'm going to say it again because it's one of my favorite verses. Some boast in chariots, some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. And then Isaiah 53, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Let me tell you, the arm of the Lord is powerful. The finger of God is powerful, but the arm, I mean, here's a contrast. The king of Assyria offered the arm of flesh, but God, as he brought forth Jesus, the arm of the Lord and um, and that's how it works. That's just how it works. So I want to give the ironic blessing if that's okay. I'll just I'll just say it fast and then the menorahs afterwards. says, Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmerecha Ya'ara Adonai panav elecha v'helohecha Sorry, sorry. Yisa Adonai panav elecha v'simlecha shalom Let me read you this in English. It says, and this is from God's heart, it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. 
the Lord make his face to shine to you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. See, our God is a God of love. He's not judging us. The judgment fell on Jesus. God loves us. Isn't that funny how things manifest sometimes when you're up here trying to share the word, you know, and you have to laugh. Praise God. I wanna, I'm going to have Matt come up just real quick. Matt has Levitical um, blood in his lineage, and he had a vision and texted me about it while Alan was preaching. And I just feel like this is actually an atmospheric shift for us. Something happened today because we honored the first First Nations um, and our Jewish brethren in our midst, but I want to have Matt share what he saw. Yeah, Alan, uh, while you was up here uh, sharing, uh, I saw the Israeli flag uh, waving over us, almost like uh, um, like it was just being flown and waved over the whole entire congregation, and even you while you were speaking. And uh, as I saw that, I also saw um, the glory of God form clouds around that flag and around this congregation, and there was something to um, what you were saying and what you were doing. It was almost like God is releasing um, a covenant act with us spiritually because we were honoring Israel um, publicly by receiving you and um, hearing um, just the history and giving a, a place uh, for Israel to be celebrated um, from a scriptural standpoint. And so that's what I saw while you were speaking. So just thankful and uh, honor you for sharing. That's good. That's so, so good. And Father, we receive it in all the fullness of that blessing in Jesus' name. So I'm so thankful for the thorough history that we just heard. And I'm excited about Hanukkah. As Jackie and Cammie were singing about the lights, it said in that one song that I give you the light, my previous flame, so that you can light me again. And I don't think it's an accident that we're in the middle of the festival of lights or the festival or the feast of dedication, the festival of dedication. And every day we're relighting the candles over and over and over again. It's a symbol of what God's talking about in that song. It's a symbol of what Alan was talking about, that every day, we renew our strength. Every day we pick up our cross. Every day we lean on the Lord again. Amen? And it's so important that we go from faith to faith and glory to glory. And that we're changed from the inside out. That we're, I, I don't think it's an accident either that there's nine candles on there. There's nine fruits of the Spirit. Okay? Get nine gifts of the Spirit and nine fruits of the Spirit. I think it's beautiful. But Alan will tell us about this in a minute. But there's one candle that lights all the others. It's called the servant candle. He'll tell us a little bit about that in a minute. And, and our ability to walk in the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit and the fullness of the fruits of the Spirit comes because of our servant, God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The greatest among us, God said, is the servant of all. Right? So I love, absolutely love this teaching. I was telling him, um, he did such a thorough job on the history. I'm not going to go into it a ton. He did mention this brief, briefly, but I love the idea that Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. Did you know that? In John 10, and 25, it says, At the time of the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. 
So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. And I just think it's so interesting that they're asking that question of him during the festival of lights when he's the light of the world. Isn't that beautiful? The light of the world. Blew my mind. I think it was interesting too, he talked a little bit about Antichus Epiphanes, the Syrian ruler who came in and conquered Jerusalem at that time. And, and when he came in and he desecrated the temple, he talked about the priest. And pronounce his name for me again, Alan. Mattathias, okay? And Mattathias was a Maccabee. And Mattathias had five sons. I don't think it's an accident that he had five sons. It's a picture of the five-fold ministry, okay? Mattathias had five sons. It's a picture of the five-fold ministry. It's a picture of the time and the season and the era that we're in right now in the corporate church, in this nation, and in the nations of the world. Not an accident. Five is hey in the Hebrew. It's God's number for grace, in the scripture, it talks about when Christ ascended, that he left in his uh, gifts for men, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and that we know in part and we prophesy in part. When all five gifts are present, when all five gifts are free and liberated to function in the fullness of who God's called them to be, we get a whole picture of what the whole gospel looks like. And the body is equipped in a way um, that empowers us or empowers them to fully display, like Alan was talking about, the glory of God. We learn how to pioneer from the apostles, how to be brave, how to blaze trails, how to break through and get that breaker anointing to come into the new things of God in our life. The prophets teach us right from wrong and warn us, be careful, don't do that. This is how you discern. This is what it's like to prophesy. This is how you prophesy. This is how you see in the spirit. This is how you enter in the first, second, and third heaven. Right? The evangelists teach us about the compassion and the love of God and why it's important to get outside the building and go and share the good news, much like he was talking about today, that it's not just for us, it's so that the world could be saved. And the pastors teach us how to love the people while they're on their journey, right? Because we used to be where they are, right? And how to not get puffed up in pride, but how to love the ones that are coming in that are just learning about Jesus and take them along gently, the same journey that God took us along. And then the teachers help us understand line by line and precept by precept how to rightly divide the word of God so that we don't go astray in our doctrine and theology. And it's a beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. So he had these five sons. I felt like that was a picture of the five-fold ministry and the era that we're in. I was kind of excited about that. They were from the tribe of Judah. Somebody say Judah. We talk a lot about Judah worship around here, right? And that God created the world with sound and with his words. And that's why we do prophetic worship when we go off script so many times with when we worship because Holy Spirit's in charge and we want to do what Jesus did. He said, I only say what I hear the Father say and only do what the Father shows me to do. That's why Lori sometimes plays her flute in the middle of the thing. That's why you'll see flaggers get up over here and obey. That's why you'll see people come up here and share in their prophetic words because Holy Spirit's the, Jesus is the head of his church. And we're on Holy Spirit's agenda, right? And that's what Judah does. Judah lends their ear to hear and to say, sing, play, speak, sing, dance, prophesy, whatever daddy wants to do because his agenda is what's first and foremost and primary in their hearts. I love that. And I love the courage of this man, the appointed priest. 
We're seeing some courage in our nation right now, and I actually feel like Hanukkah this year is a prophetic picture of what's going on in our nation. They were under oppression for 400 years. Okay? America has been under a Greek mindset for 400 years. And under that Greek mindset, we've had horrible things like the oppression of the First Nations people, slavery, the oppression of women. We've had all five satanic sects, in, sects S-E-C-T-S, and departments functioning through the Freemasons. The Jesuits came. The Roman Catholic Church, okay, which is aligned with Illuminati. Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, okay, operating in our nation. And only over the last probably 50, 60 years has the church begun to operate in the spirit in, in a level of authority. We could go into a city and deal with those things and say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And according to Jeremiah 1, 2, 10, be able to say, let that thing be rooted up, overthrown, torn down and destroyed. And it's a place, Father God, we decree and declare that you would build and plant your kingdom your righteousness, your peace, and your joy in the Holy Spirit. So we're starting to see those things shift. And as we've, like the tribe of Judah, partnered in obedient praise, releasing that Judah sound that God told us to release, and obeying and going to these different prophetic assignments and, and saying what God tells us to say and praying what God tells us to pray, these taproots have been coming up. And God's starting to move and the shaking's begun. And we are seeing a shaking in our nation, and it's making some people real uncomfortable. But I'll tell you what, there's a Maccabee revolt happening right here in our nation. And it is God. And we've got priests right now who, just like the priests of that day, have said, I will lend my money to you if you will position me when you're in power. I will capitulate and compromise on these antichrist, unbiblical issues so that I can be accepted by culture because I want your support, your money, your position, your affirmation. And then there's a remnant. There's whole droves of churches that have shut down, have masked up, have stopped saying what God told them to say, have, have been told they can't worship, they can't sing. There's absolute tyranny going on. We are in the midst, and I don't know if you know this, but in 2017, the red blood moons that came across our nation through all the shaloms, all the Salems, the cities called Salem, that was in 2017, we're right smack dab, December 14th, in the midst of this Hanukkah, will be three and a half years into a seven-year period before 2024, when those red blood moons come all the way back across the other way in the United States, and X marks the spot in the middle of our nation. That is amazing. So the word that Alan brought today is on point. Good friend of mine, Ed Watts is a prophet. We've been partnered with him because of a dream, prophetic dream Laura had years ago, about a decade ago. Laura told us to partner with him. There's been a fantastic relationship there. But he, I don't think it's an accident that the Maccabees were from the tribe of Judah. Their Maccabee actually means hammer. And I was thinking about the vision that we got last week in this service of the angel of the Lord coming down and having a hammer in his hand and how the word of the Lord came forth and said, it looks like a hammer of Thor, but it's not Thor, it's much more. And then the hammer went out, but it came back to the hand of the Lord, just like Thor's. And he said, my word always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. It never returns to me void. 
not an accident. And then Prophet Ed Watts gets this word and this vision of Judah and this hammer, the Maccabee revolt. Maccabee means hammer. And he said, this Hanukkah will be key time in our nation, releasing a sound of holy revolution. Holy revolution. There's a Judah sound coming forth, a Judah, the hammer sound that will strike the gates and shake the gates, dislodging the enemy. And we're starting to see it, and it's making some people's flesh uncomfortable. But it must occur, and it must happen, because God must have his glory, and he must have his way. And there is a problem, you guys. There's a problem in our nation when we get to the point where our flesh being more comfortable and culture's way being more comfortable to us, our friends and our peers and our family members' opinions being more important to us than the word of God. I love that verse you shared that it was about truth. They failed to love the truth. And I posted something about this the other day, and sometimes I feel like Matthias or whatever his name is, like in the spirit, I got a sword up to the neck of the enemy and I'm like, I've had it in Jesus' name. The Lord rebuke you. Truth is a person. Truth is Jesus. And when we get to a point where our comfort and our opinion and our culture and our family and our friends become more important to us and our preferences become more important to us than the truth. We're actually saying they're more important to us than Jesus because Jesus is truth. And that is so, so, so dangerous. It's so dangerous because he's the truth that sets us free. He's the truth that gives us redemption. He's the truth that makes us whole. And anything else we embrace outside of the truth actually brings death to us. The enemy comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. So every time we reject the truth, every time we reject reality, for any reason, any reason, we're actually warring against him. We've set ourselves in opposition to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we need to repent as a nation for doing that. I just loved that he had five sons. I just thought that was... Awesome. I loved it that there were seven years, and we're in the midst of that seven-year period with the red blood moons. Come on, somebody. You can't make this stuff up. You cannot make this stuff up. After that period when they defeated the enemy who had defiled the temple in victory, they purified and then rededicated, just like Alan talked about. Celebrating the end of that religious oppression, and I just want to say here in America, there is an end coming to the religious oppression that we have suffered and have been suffering. Enough is enough. And it is okay and it is not ungodly to stand up and to say something. We have inalienable rights being made in the image of God to preach truth. To stand for truth. And do we speak the truth in love? Yes. But we speak the truth and we have a right to speak the truth and we have a right to stand. And it is a very dangerous place to be to say it is not of God. Very dangerous. I, I am reminded of the word God gave me several years ago about the reckoning. And he said, many are at a crossroad. 
And what's happening is there's a shaking happening in our nation that he has allowed because he has to sift the people to see, do they love the truth? Do they love me more than they love their comfort, more than they love their politics, more than they love their preferences, more than they love their friends and their family and what they're used to? And or even here now as I'm preaching is being right, being liked, being popular. Being, I, I actually hear secure, right? I know I got a paycheck coming. I know they're going to take care of me. It's a very dangerous place to be. I love what Alan said too. The Jews burn for Christ. They burn for God. They're willing to die for their faith. That Patrick Henry passion that says, give me liberty or give me death. When they lit the menorah and they, in faith, and they rededicated the temple, God did perform a miracle. It was a multiplication miracle. I love it. You said God is in the business of multiplication. He is. And he wants to multiply Christ in us, Christ in you, Christ in me, in others around us. But it went eight days. Eight is the number of chet in, in the Hebrew. It's, it's gate. He got them through the gate that they needed to get through to come into the new place. Until the pure oil was ready to burn. And this is what's interesting. Did you know that the story says that Antichus Epiphanes, they actually intentionally contaminated the oil. We're seeing a lot of contamination in our nation. A lot of compromise. A lot. And there is a separation occurring. And, and I posted the other day, and I could not say it. We will be held accountable for how we stood in this hour. We will be held accountable. All of the Israelites benefit from the Maccabees' courage. Some still continue to compromise. But I believe, I believe, Alan was talking about they persecuted him and they'll persecute us. He is so, so worth it all. Song of Solomon, we just preached this last week. We'll get to a point in Christ where it doesn't even seem like a sacrifice anymore. That's the place that he's taking us to, where we are so on fire for him that serving him and loving others and the persecution and the raging storms, it doesn't even seem like a sacrifice anymore because we're so fixated on the reality of his goodness and grace and on the eternity that awaits us that we're no longer intimidated. We're no longer silenced. We no longer capitulate to cultural norms in the lies of the enemy. The Maccabees took back the territory in the temple, and I just want to decree and declare, the Maccabees in this hour, in this nation, will take back the temple, and the true church shall arise, purified. And for those of you who don't know, several years ago, back in 2009, between 2009 and 2013, the Lord had me vav our capital with solid gold nails. He said, I want a pure movement. I want something when I look that I see me. I see my son. I see my reflection. And I just kept thinking of that verse from David. I'm like, Lord, seriously, pure gold. Like, I'm totally just going to put these in the ground. This makes absolutely no sense, Abba. 
And I remember what David said. He said, I will not give the Lord something that costs me nothing. And I feel like as the body of Christ, we've got to stop and say, Lord, what is my walk with you costing me? What am I really laying down for you? Am I just going through the motions, doing what's easy? Or am I actually operating out of a place of excellence? At a place of servitude, out of the place of you so deserve my everything. What can I do to make this amazing for you, enjoyable for you? Something to give you high honor because you're worthy. They restored holy order in the house of God. It took them eight days to make the new oil. So they leaned on and trusted in God when it didn't seem like it was going to work out. When it seemed like they had absolutely nothing. And God provided, and he does that for us. He's so, so good. The fivefold is restoring the holy order in God's house today, in the spirit. The saints are being equipped to hear and to see, to prophesy, to speak, to heal, and to disciple individuals and nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything the Lord has taught us. That order is being restored. And I feel this very strongly right now, specifically for America. Those who have sold their souls this year to please the propagating kings will see just payment that they are due. And that does not mean that God does not forgive. But they will see the just payment. Just like before the Israelites came into the promised land, the ones that had disbelief, the ones that complained... Korah's rebellion, they were swallowed up. The wicked priest that compromised and capitulated was like, I'll smear the blood, just don't, you know, give me a position. I'll even give you money if you give me the position. The spirit of Maccabee was on, that was of the Lord. He rose up and took care of business. And there are angels being loosed right now in this season. Not because God is not merciful, but because he is and he will have his harvest. That are going to be taking care of business and being loose today. So that God can have his way. And I'm going to read you something. Psalm 82. I woke up yesterday morning. And this was the third day of Hanukkah, I believe. Or maybe it was the second. And Psalm 82 out of the Passion Translation jumped off the page. Listen to this. And I, I sent it to Prophet Ed Watts. I sent it to John Hamill and Jolene Hamill with lamp lighters. And I sent it to Cindy Williams, who's a prophet with Chuck Pierce. It says, all rise, for God now comes to judge. As he convenes heaven's courtroom, he judges every judge and rules over every ruler, saying, how long will you judges refuse to listen? Come on. That's going on in our nation right now. There are some that ought to be ashamed, lying and conniving and strategizing and not loving truth and calling themselves Christians. It's a shame. And I do not mean to condemn, but my heart is broken over it. Because the enemy has used it to divide the body and we ought to be united around the truth, the person of truth, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. And I don't mean to yell, I am just done. I am done capitulating. I am done pretending like judgment is not love because it is in a time of harvest. 
even in God's judgment, he is merciful because he must have this last harvest. His son is returning. Jesus is coming back. And we have got work to do, and there are multitudes that do not know him yet. It says, how long will you judges refuse to listen to the voice of true justice and continue to corrupt what is right by judging in favor of the wrong? How many times have we seen that? In the last three months. The Lord rebuked those judges. Pause in his presence, it says. Defend the defenseless, the fatherless, the forgotten. And this is the other piece, okay? So there's judges in the church that have not done this. The Lord rebuked them. They built their houses and their churches and their buildings, and they haven't taken care of the poor. And we talked about that a lot this last year. The Lord rebuked them. Enough is enough. It is time for right order to be restored in the church. You know what the tithe is for? The orphans, the widows, and the poor, and the Levites, and the priests. That's what it's for. He goes on and it says, your duty is to deliver the poor and the powerless, to liberate them from the grasp of the wicked. That's our duty, to liberate the poor, poor in spirit, from the grasp of the wicked, the deceived ones. There are a lot of people who are deceived, you guys. It says, but you continue in darkness and in ignorance while the foundations of society are shaken to the core. There are a lot of pastors and a lot of preachers right now continuing on in ignorance, perpetrating and preaching ignorance because of their political persuasion and preferences right now. And it is an absolute abomination before the Lord God. An absolute abomination. And if this feels strong, it is, and it's supposed to be because I love you. I love you and God loves you and we must shift if we do not want to come under the judgment that is coming. But you continue in your darkness and ignorance while the foundations of society are shaken to the core. Didn't I commission you as judges, the Lord says, saying, you are all like God since you judge on my behalf. In other words, we're made in the image of God. He speaks the world into existence and we are made in his image. And when we speak, things shift. Paul said, I believe and therefore I have spoken. We believe and therefore we speak. You are all like sons of the Most High. He says, you are my representatives. In Romans, it says, I'm an ambassador for the Lord. Nevertheless, in death, you are nothing but mere men. You will be laid in the ground like any prince and you will die. All arise, for God now takes his place as judge of all the earth. Don't you know that everything and everyone belongs to him? He says, the nations will be sifted in his hands. And I got this yesterday morning and my spirit was so stirred and the fire of God just fell on me. And I knew in that moment, in this Hanukkah season, we're coming up on the 14th, which is Monday, that the courtroom had been set and was now in session. And that we have a few days to, in the valley of decision to choose ye this day whom we will serve. Whether we will serve our preferences our cultural norms, what we've always done, or whether we will cling to the truth of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I choose you. This hurts, but I want you. I choose your truth. I choose your word. I choose your son because truth is your son. Truth is Jesus. And it lit me up, and I, I was weepy over it. I was trembling over it. I was excited in the sense that if God is just and he is always just, there comes a time when enough is enough. His mercy always is new every morning. 
But there comes a time when daddy says, I've told you again and again and again and again. I said no, and I mean no. And now I'm done talking about it. Anybody ever been there with their parents? Whack, whack. Right? And as mortals, we get upset about that. And we think, oh, God is so mean. No, he's not. He took... If that person is saved and they're living in compromise, moral compromise, and leading his people astray, they simply go home to be with him without reward. And rightly so, because God needs to have his way. He's a good father. He says, nope, you're coming home. You're grounded. Because you're actually hindering the work I'm trying to accomplish in the earth. And I don't want to be grounded. I want my books of destiny to be open in heaven and to fulfill all the fullness of everything God has in his heart for me to do. And guess what that means? That means I need to love the truth more than I love my own way, my own agenda, my own opinions. If this is not first and paramount in our lives, we have a problem. I love this prophetic parallel, and I'm going to switch slides here. On 11-11 this year, it was the anniversary of the Mayflower Compact. It was the 400-year anniversary of the Mayflower Compact. The Maccabees were under the oppression of the Syrian Greek Empire for 400 years. This is not an accident, you guys. Not an accident. For those of you that do not know, the Mayflower Compact was, well, I'm just going to read it to you. It was Great Britain, France, and Ireland sent out on behalf of King James. And this is what it read. In 1802, John Quincy Adams described this agreement as the only instance in human history of a, that positive original social compact and its popularity believed to have influenced the Declaration of Independence in our Constitution. This is the sole document that influenced it. And this is what it says. In the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects, of our dread sovereign, Lord King James, by the grace of God, of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, come on, they're my people, King, defender of the faith, etc., having undertaken for the glory of God, not for their own glory, but for the glory of God, and advancement of the Christian faith, that's it right there, 400 years ago, on November 11th, this compact was written where these three countries, a threefold cord, a threefold Christian cord showed up and said, we touch this land for the sake of the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith. And it was this document that had the greatest impact on our Constitution and on the Declaration of Independence. In honor of our king and country. Come on, somebody. Who's our king? There's one king. A voyage to plant the first colony. This was the purpose of their coming. In the northern parts of Virginia, do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and in one another. So they made covenant with God in this. Covenant and combine ourselves together in a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends of the aforesaid, the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. And by virtue hereof to enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws. 
ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time, as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony, unto which we promise all due submission and obedience, in witness whereof we have hereunder subscribed our names at the Cape Cod on this 11th of November, in the year of the reign of the sovereign Lord King James of England, France, Ireland, the 18th, and of Scotland, Laura, I want to say that, the 54th, Anno Domini, in 1620. That just passed. We're in the middle of this seven-year period. 14th Monday marks the three-and-a-half-year point. And we're talking today. We're in the middle of the Festival of Lights talking about the Maccabean Revolt. And we just had the angel of the Lord show up on top of our church with the hammer of the Lord, confirming that a Judah sound comes out of this remnant body right here. And I just want to say to those of you who have not capitulated, those of you who have stayed in the church, those of you who had said, I will continue to worship, I hear, well done, thou good and faithful servants, well done. You are part of that Maccabean revolt. You are part of that Judah remnant. You are part of the generation that has been set aside to be a servant to help kindle other people's lights in this era to come. I got so excited when I thought about this. I'm going to have uh, you come back up. Darling, Alan, come on back up. We have the honor of having Alan with us today who speaks, you know, Hebrew and is going to walk us through the uh, lighting of the candle. And as a prophetic act, we're going to, I need four volunteers. Can I have four volunteers? Matt, you've got Hebrew blood. Come on up. Definitely. I don't know why, Maddie. I keep seeing your face. Do you want to light a candle? Would you like to do that? Come on up, sweetheart. Anybody else? Any two more volunteers? Two more. Anybody? You want to, Laura? Come on. Lori, do you want to? Come on, darling. Okay. All right. So we're going to have you stand right in front of this table, and in just a minute, Alan's going to walk you through this. Okay? I'm going to give this to him so he can kind of explain what we're doing. And then he's going to pray the Hebrew prayer and instruct you on how to light them. Do you want to do the instruction component? Okay. So let me give you this. The, the center candle is called the Shamus candle. It's the servant. And we can, I mean, the way that I think of it is, is that Jesus is the light of the world. And, that, and with that light, he lights the rest of us. But we don't want to hide our light under the bushel. <laughs> so, and then, uh, so let me read the prayer. It says, um, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav v'tivanu ner That means, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to kindle the Hanukkah light. And then the second one says, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who performed miracles for our forefathers um, in those days at this time. Okay, so good. So the shamash or the servant candle is lit now. And if I understand you correctly, you're going to lift that. So the f who wants to go first? Why don't we have the youngest go first? Would that be all right? It's honoring Maddie, okay? So 
Maddie, you're going to pick up the blue candle and you're going to light the purple one first. Is that correct? The one furthest to the right. Okay. And I love this. It says, um, the rabbis say, what are the candles saying? And if she lights this, I'm just going to read it. And you can pass that candle to the next one to your left. Okay. They're saying never be afraid to stand up for what's right. And truth is always right. Never be afraid to stand up for what's right. Judah Maccabee and his band faced daunting odds, but they did, that did not stop them. With a prayer on their lips and faith in their heart, they entered the battle of their lives and they won. We do the same. And we are in a battle in the midst of our nation here. For truth says nothing, absolutely nothing to do with politics. It's about truth. It is absolutely about the truth. If we allow an election to occur where corruption has happened and we do not hold the leaders accountable for that, we are like the compromising and capitulating priests who said, as long as you make us powerful, we'll let you do whatever you want. Amen? All right, this is the second volunteer. Go ahead and light, um, you're going to light the pink candle with the blue candle, correct? Take the servant candle, light the pink one. Okay. So it says, always increase. What else do the candles tell us? Always increase in matters of goodness and biblical observance. In other words, sure, a single flame was good enough for yesterday, but today needs to be even better. Nine candles, nine gifts, nine fruits of the Spirit. Keep pressing into Christ so that more of him dwells in you. Amen? Thank you for lighting that last one. I'm going to continue on these. Okay? What else is the candle telling us? Yeah, someone lit yours. Sorry, honey. Yeah, go ahead. We'll come up here and do it in the microphone, and then can I, let me finish this piece. Can you wait one second? Okay, so the second one, or the third one is, the candles are telling us to take it to the streets, okay? A little light goes a long way. The Hanukkah candles are lit when dusk is falling, and dusk is falling, okay? And it tells us to take it to the streets because it's observed in public. It's not enough to be a Christian in our heart and not take it into every other um, public sphere in our lives, okay? It is not enough to do that, or even to not take it into our homes. We should be living our Christian life out in our home, in our workplace, in the public view. And, and I love the next one. It says, don't be ashamed to be different and stand out. Sometimes it's uncomfortable because all of our friends and all of our grandmas and all of our grandpas and all of our aunties and all of our uncles, they think different than we do, so it can feel a little uncomfortable and a little tense. But we're never to be ashamed. We're supposed to follow the example of the Israelites and say, you know what? If I die, I die. If I, like Esther, if I perish, I perish. But I will go before the king and say what God told me to say. Because this life isn't all we have. When we die, we're not dead. We're just transitioning from here to being with the Lord. And that being true, we're not afraid of death. Where, oh, death is your sting? It's been swallowed up in Christ Jesus. Amen? All right, Lord, come on over. Come on over. So Laura wants to share a little bit like that. And I just want to encourage you to be like the menorah, proudly proclaiming the radiant uniqueness to all who see you.
in the world, okay? So when you were talking about people compromising, there was there's lots going on. So what I heard was Lot, Lot from the Bible. So Lot separated from Abram, Abraham, and then went and did his thing. Okay, who's heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? So just remember the whole thing about compromise, and I just want to encourage you, you know, if, if you feel like you're to separate, and I'm not talking about divorce, so please, that's not what I'm talking about, or separate, but sometimes we have to separate from things that aren't good for us spiritually, particularly, and, you know, they had lots separated from Abraham, but I think at the end of the day, though, if you'll recall, he, he left, he was, uh, Abraham prayed if there were one righteous person that God actually spared Sodom and Gomorrah, so 10, 10, thank you, 10, but who remembers what happened to Lot's wife? She looked back. She turned into a pillar of salt. So sometimes we can't, well, I'll, I'm just going to speak from experience. We can't be looking back. We have to be focused forward. And I think what I put on my, my Facebook page this morning about keep calm and carry on, and that, that really resonated with me with everything happening in our country. But I think there are, con there are consequences for compromise. And it is uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, well done, good and faithful servant. We've stood up under that. And I just feel like we are at a time, Stephanie. So thank you for your encouragement because I know this is not easy. And I just thank you for releasing that. I just had to release the thing about Lot because I, I was hearing there, it's not just about Lot's compromise. Lot represents something symbolic. It's hidden and covered. That's what Lot means, something that's hidden, hidden and covered. And sometimes people are covering up their sin. They don't want it to come out. Well, it's uncomfortable, but it's going to come out. And it may not come out the way you want, but it's going to come out. Yeah. So thank you for. Yeah, that's so good. There's two ways it comes out. It's going to come out. It can come out willingly as we humble ourselves in the mighty hand of God and say, Lord, I'm a sinner who needs saving. Here's my mess. Please make me a whole. Or it comes out by being exposed in very uncomfortable ways like we're seeing in our nation right now. And people are freaking out. And they should be because it could have come out before and they could have just done what was right and they didn't. But now the hand of God is moving. And there will be grave consequences for sin. Okay. Um, Laura was talking about the lot, and I just wanted to point this out. Lot actually took what looked better. He took the lush valley. Just like those priests took the payment and the position and what looked good, they didn't want to revolt against the leaders, right? And they kind of just went with the flow. That's what Lot did. He took the beautiful lush valley, and Abraham went toward the desert. But this is what's interesting. The beautiful lush valley, when partnered with sin, became an arid desert full of filthiness and depravity and destruction and desolation. But Abraham was blessed, even though he took the land that looked deserted and dry and arid. The Lord blessed him. And I think we're in a season where that happens, and I'm, I'm just going um, to say this one last thing, and then we'll close. When people truly love you, they tell you the truth. And when they don't, they don't. They tell you what you think and what you feel and what you believe is okay because it's what you've always done. But when someone truly loves you, they care enough about you to tell you the truth because they don't want to see you harmed and hurt and have things stolen from you and see your life destroyed. 
There is a way that looks right unto man, but the end thereof is death. Two prayers are typically offered during Hanukkah. The halal prayer and the bal al -nah -nah, how do you say, hanasim. They offer praise and thanksgiving to God for this, and I'm going to quote it. Father, we praise you in this moment, in this Maccabean hour, in this instance, for your truth, for your love, which never fails, and for delivering the strong into the hands of the weak, and the many into the hands of the few, and the wicked into the hands of the righteous. That's the Hanukkah prayer. Come on, somebody. For delivering the strong into the hands of the weak, the many into the hands of the few, and the wicked into the hands of the righteous. Hallelujah. 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 So I'm thinking about traveling. If anyone wants to go to Indiana, they will be, um, Ed Watts and James Nesbitt and the others will be there in Indiana on the 14th, which will mark the exact, um, exact three and a half year mark between 2017 and the Red Blood Moons and 2024 and the Red Blood Moons. And they're meeting in a location in Indiana where the X marks the spot. If you want to go, please let me know. You're welcome to go with me. We'll have to leave quite early um, because the event starts at 6 p.m. We will not be spending the night, so it'll be a long day. Um, but I would love to have you with me. I really feel like the Lord said to go. Um, and quite frankly, lighting the menorah was our activation today. And Alan, I'm going to ask you to come up one more time and just release the Aaronic benediction blessing over us. And then, Patty, if you're willing to serve um, at the altar ministry, do you, can you do that today or do you need to leave? Is that okay? Yeah, come on down. If you need prayer or you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or you struggled with a message today, um, come on down and receive some prayer. Um, because sometimes there's things in our bloodlines and there's things in our lives that are hard to shake off. And there's a resistance that comes up in us. And we go, oh, I don't like this, Lord. I know it's true. I know it's you. But I don't like the way this feels. And we need help from the Lord and from others to, to break out of that, okay? So come on over, Alan. You can pray that. By the way, this is uh, from Numbers 6, 24 to 26. It says, Yivrechecha Adonai Riyish Merecha Ha'er Adonai Penecha Elecha Rihi Necha Vese Adonai Penav Elecha Yashem Lecha Shalom It says, The Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what he wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey, because God is good, and He has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, 
Learn about our speakers and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.